Good evening, Delray Baptist Church. As Garrett mentioned, my name is Ben Brophy. I'm a pastoral intern here, uh, and it's my honor and privilege to have the opportunity to preach God's Word to you tonight. Um, Before I dive in again, and I know we just prayed for quite a while, but I'm going to pray again specifically for, for me as I try to bring God's Word. So if you would, just pray with me briefly. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask for your blessing on, on our gathered time here today. May your truth be made clear, and may the thoughts of our hearts and reflections in our minds be glorifying and praising to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So tonight, we're going to tackle another question that people asked about Jesus. Tonight, that question is, was he the Messiah? And if so, why does his ministry look so radically different than people thought it would? These are the questions that John the Baptist and his disciples ask Jesus. What he asked them in Luke chapter 7, 20 through 22, and that's our text. So it's Luke chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. Luke chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. I'll read it for us now. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me give a little context to this section of Scripture as we go through it tonight. Luke 7 shows us the glory of Christ's ministry. We see that Christ heals a centurion's servant, raises a widow's son from the dead. He also declares John the Baptist to be the messenger who prepares the way for the Messiah, And Christ also forgives an adulterous woman of her sins. But at the same time, we find that John the Baptist is in prison, which is a bit of a shock, and I'm sure even more so to John. John was appointed by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. He proclaimed repentance as preparation for the coming of God's kingdom. John obeys this call, and he finds himself in jail. He obeyed God, pointed to Christ as the coming Messiah, but the reality of his situation was subverting his expectations. Where was Jesus' kingdom? Where was the revolt against Rome and all its corruption and the ushering in of God's kingdom? What the heck is going on? Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever trusted God and then he didn't act the way you thought he would? Have you ever been confused by what God is doing in your life? The question of are you the one that John brings to Jesus reveals a confused heart that is not uncommon to those of us who follow Jesus. What should we do then when this happens? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The answer to that question of what we should do when we find ourselves in this situation is our main point, which I'll state this way. When we're grappling with life, we have to grasp onto Jesus through prayer and the Word. And so when we're getting hit left and right 
in life, when we're struggling, when things are confusing, we have to grasp onto Jesus through prayer and his word. And our outline, if you want to track that as well, is simple and threefold. First, we have John's question, Jesus' answer, and then our, our decision. John is looking for clarity from the Lord, and Christ answers him through the scriptures, and we, as well as John, are left with the decision about the truth of that answer. So let's start with John's question, and we'll look at this in the text again. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So there were none greater than John the Baptist. Christ clearly identifies him as the messenger who will prepare the way for Christ. Yet despite this unique standing in biblical history, John was still confused at what was, what was going on. Here he is in prison while Jesus goes about teaching and preaching without overturning the political status quo. But John's response to his confusion is the right one. Very simply, he asks. We see in verse 20, he asks very directly, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, John had physical access to Jesus in a unique way. But we have something more sure than John's experience. We have Christ's prophetic word written down in the scriptures. And as Christians, we also have access to Christ in prayer. Both of these are uniquely powerful in pursuing the question of Christ's messiahship and also how to understand what's happening in our lives. We should use them. And for what it's worth, this is also open to both the Christian and the non-Christian. We'll start with prayer. It's okay to bring our hard questions to Christ in prayer. In fact, the Lord wants us to do that very thing. Seek the wisdom of the Lord in your doubts, wonders, and questions. He is our rock, our refuge, our stronghold, our deliverer. Jesus gives us the parable of the persistent widow who essentially annoys an unjust judge into giving her justice by continuing to ask him for it over and over again. How much more... Will God respond to the questions, requests, and laments of his people? It's so easy to fall into processing our questions and struggles with other human beings horizontally. And we should do some of that. That's part of what the church is for. We should talk to one another about them. But more importantly, we need to process those things vertically with Christ first. And we do that through prayer. We look for answers in his word and John the Baptist found himself in a similar situation. He's wondering whether Christ was the Messiah. Despite all he had seen, he was still struggling. This is an incredibly hard question for him. And he resolves it by going to Christ. We should do the same, both on the topic of whether Christ is our Savior, but also our laments, struggles, doubts, and concerns. So the exhortation for us when we're mystified by what's happening around us in our lives and, or the world at large is to press into God's word to hear what he might have to say to us in our confusion by the power of his spirit through his word. I'll share one simple anecdote from my own life to illustrate this point. I grew up in the church, um, came to Christ at a young age, uh, but for a long time I was away from the Lord. Sometime in my mid to late teenage years, I fell in love with the things of this world. So between sports and drinking too much, 
and chasing women and all the rest, I abandoned pursuing Christ. My parents, who were faithful Christians, raised me well, but they weren't quite sure how to handle that. They weren't sure how to challenge or rebuke me. They just didn't have the tools for that, and they weren't at a church that would have properly equipped them to confront sin. But both my parents, and particularly my mom, knew one thing that she could do, and that was to pray. And so she did. She prayed through my college years, when I simply loved fun more than anything else. She prayed through my early 20s, when I was obsessed with sexual sin and making as much money as possible. She prayed for me in my later 20s, where I started to, to reap the rewards of that lifestyle in depression and anger and discontentment in the things that the world would have me pursue. And she prayed that my affections would be reawakened for Christ, that I would remember that Christ was the Messiah, and that he was the only one who could deliver me from this body of death. During those years, I have to imagine that she doubted what God was doing, lamented her son's departure from him, and was frustrated by God's seeming inaction. What the heck was going on? Yet, she continued to bring her prayers to the Lord. And he was faithful to answer that prayer, as is evidenced by me standing here today. I can't imagine too many more difficult questions than, why won't you rescue my son? But my mom, by God's grace, didn't let bitterness consume her. She directed those burdens vertically to the Lord. And so, all of that to say, bring your questions to the Lord. He won't rebuke you. He desires your questions. Our text tonight teaches us well how to respond when we don't see clearly what God is doing. And Jesus does answer, perhaps in unexpected ways, perhaps not in the way we would have preferred to hear, but he does answer. And that brings us to Jesus' answer in this text. And here's the thing. Christ does answer John's question, but he does so in a way that encourages John to evaluate his answer based on the scriptures instead of his expectations. So we see Christ's response in verse 22, and it's based on what was happening in verse 21. I'll read that now. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. So when Christ says, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, this, is, this has in view all of what's happening in chapter 7. And Christ underscores those events that's happening in chapter 7 by reminding John's disciples that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor of good news preach to them. And so by underscoring those particular events, Christ is echoing Isaiah 35. And I'll read verses 4 through 10 here. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. 
In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow. And sighing shall flee away. So Jesus is reminding John of what the scriptures say about the Messiah. He's answering John's question, his prayer, with the Bible and pointing him to the truth of who Christ is. Christ reminds John of what the scriptures say, the blind see, the lame walk. This is what the Messiah does. And John's heard this before. He knows the scriptures. He's heard these words in the prophet Isaiah. But Christ also references what he's been doing in his ministry. By doing this, he shows that the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, but he's going to do so much more than what John expected. He cures a centurion's servant, showing that his mission will include bringing salvation to the world beyond just Israel, but also to the Gentiles. He raises a widow's son from the dead, showing that, the, that as Messiah, he will defeat death, not just for himself, but for all who believe in him. Later in the chapter, Jesus forgives the sinful, adulterous woman who sheds tears on his feet. And he shows Simon, as well as us, that he has come to forgive sins and challenge empty, outward-only religion. So we need to shake our, pre, our own preconceptions of who Jesus is and take his word for who he is. We need to lose what we think ahead of time about Jesus and take his word for it. John the Baptist models this for us of what to do when we're confused and dismayed. We're confused at what God is allowing to happen and what he's doing. And what we need to do is press into the Lord for our answers through prayer and scripture. Christ affirms that's the right approach and opens John's eyes to the reality that his messiahship won't be defined by John's expectations, but by God's word. Christ is answering John through the very means John should be looking to find answers. And thus, Christ's answer is definitive, and it demands a response. We, hearing this, have a decision to make. It is our last point, our decision. Where will we look when things don't make sense? The world will spin any yarn and try to answer, but it doesn't have anything that satisfies, not truly. I think of recently Kobe Bryant's recent passing in a helicopter crash. The sports world almost universally cried out in lament. Here's a superstar who dies relatively young with his 13-year-old daughter and several other families besides. It's a tragedy beyond imagining. But the response we've seen has no explanation for why. LeBron James got a tattoo. NBA teams took shot clock violations to honor Kobe. And countless acts of remembrance and, mourning, remembrance and mourning happened all over. None of these things are inherently bad. Indeed, lament is part of being human. But no one has a good answer for why this happens. There's speculation about engine trouble, about failures the pilot made, but that's all just a description of what happened, of how it happened, not why. And we don't necessarily know why something like this happens. 
but we know the one behind the why. We know that he is good, does good, and if you are in Christ, is working good for you. This is the truth the scriptures testify to, and we have to respond to that. So when faced with these challenges, our text encourages us to press into the Lord when we, don't underst- when we lack understanding. We're then left with a decision. We trust in Christ and his word for peace in troubling times, or we trust in something else. We trust that Christ is who he says he is, the Messiah, sent to rescue God's people by dying on the cross for our sin, rising three days later, defeating death, and waiting by the Father's side to come take us home. Are you sometimes confused? I know I am. Are there things the Lord is doing or not doing that leaves you perplexed? Maybe it's a lost job or a financial struggle that feels crushing no matter how much you save, no matter how hard you work. Or confusion could come from difficult relationships, the betrayal of a friend. Maybe you've been patiently sharing the gospel with a colleague, a coworker, or family member, and there's just nothing getting through, no repentance, no turn to Christ. Perhaps there's desperate frustration as to why the Lord hasn't provided you children, or conversely, how you'll get through another day parenting the children you have when it just seems so difficult. There's much more we could mention. Difficult marriages, desiring marriage and not having it, feeling trapped by sin that clings all too closely, that we can't shake, and on and on and on. Whatever it is, the Lord is calling on you to trust him, to turn to him, to press on him. Cry out to him in prayer and feast on his word to learn about what he's doing. And remember how Jesus answered John. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And he's done this. Jesus is faithful even when he doesn't act as we expect him to. He's good. He's just. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He forgives those who turn to him. Let's grasp onto him through prayer in his word when we're grappling with lives that often make no sense. Because while we can't see what God is doing, we can trust him while he's doing it. And with that, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are faithful even when we are faithless. We ask that you help us grasp onto you in the midst of difficulty and confusion. We ask that you remind us that you can carry our burdens when life seems too intense, too hard, too confusing, too perplexing for us to understand. We ask that you would remind us of the truth of your goodness, exemplified in Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that we would be at peace in our status as a redeemed people through the work Jesus has done on our behalf. We ask that you would continue to remind us of this even when we're at our lowest when things make no sense, that we would be like John the Baptist, and if we don't know what's happening, that we would turn to you and ask through prayer, through your word, that we would continue to pursue you even when that pursuit makes very little sense to us, and that we would be reminded that you can be trusted and that you will be faithful even if we can't understand how that will be. We pray for that tonight, Lord. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together. We're going to respond by singing, Behold Our God.